0: Better Off Ball, A Life in 147 Days, a serialized non-fiction podcast that chronicles the story of 15-year-old Adrian Wilson's 147-day battle with primary liver cancer. As she lay dying, Adrian taught others, including her older sister Andrea, who raised her, how to live. Welcome back to Better Off Ball of the Life in 147 Days. I am your host and storyteller, Andrea Wilson-Woods. Whether you're watching the video or listening to the podcast, I really appreciate you tuning in. Let's get started. Days 131 through 138, Sunday to Sunday, September 23rd through the 30th, 2001, seven smiley faces. I'm tired of people calling me strong or telling me that I should be happy to be able to walk. I know I should, but you live in this situation for four months and feel like the ability to walk, which isn't always there, can override the bone aches, the nausea, the headaches, the bruises, the weight loss, the pain of your tailbone, digging into your chair. Then tell me that being able to walk is great. Even when those aches and pains aren't there, I look like a goddamn freak, and everyone lies through their teeth about it, hoping it will make me feel better. Whatever. I'm tired of this. I have no hope, no matter what Sissy says. At this point, it feels as though all is lost. I miss home, wherever it is. Adrian's journal entry dated September 3rd, 2001. I didn't expect any response to my 9-11 email, but most of the replies were positive. My favorites include, we must fight to preserve our way of life or Adrian's struggle would be meaningless. You have put what's happening in your life in a perspective that most people can understand. You are right. We need to keep fighting. We will rebuild and Adrian will beat this cancer. However, a former college friend misunderstood my point. He sends me numerous emails about bombing Afghanistan. The one that puts me over the edge comes with an attachment that is a picture of a stealth bomber with the words, If you can read this, you're fucked, on its wings. We need to defend ourselves, but I'm not a pro-Nazi nut who wants to wipe out an entire population. All I can think when I see that picture is we're killing innocent people the way chemo kills the good cells. But we have no choice. I send my friend an email asking him to refrain from forwarding me anything else related to the situation in Afghanistan. I don't judge him, but I explain my position on the matter. He responds to my nine sentences with an eight paragraph tirade about how dare I accuse him of being a warmonger. I read his email twice and shake my head. Less than five months ago, I would have gone off half cocked, called him up, railed at him and apologized later. However, cancer has taught me a few things. Don't waste time. Pick your battles. I think about Adrian's world yesterday. She slept most of the day, took 10 milligrams of Dilaudid, and swallowed multiple tablespoons of cough medicine. I save his email, but I don't reply. His friendship isn't worth the fight. I gather all my materials for the 504 meeting at Burbank High today. John left work early so he could attend. We asked several people, but no one can stay with Adrian from 3 PM to 5 PM. So we opt to leave her alone. However, my pager and our cell phone are on in case she needs us. My goal is to get the school district to provide Adrian with 10 hours of instruction per week and possibly another computer. Ours is too slow. They are currently giving her five hours, which does not cover all of her subjects. I am prepared for a battle because many sources have told me the district has never provided more than five hours of homeschool instruction in the past, no matter what the circumstances were. Part of me can't believe I'm fighting my former employer for what seems like a small request. The other part of me wonders if they have any idea who they are up against. John and I walk into a large classroom in Burbank High. Someone set up chairs in a circle. I see familiar faces. Diana, Adrian's therapist, Rick Carlton, Adrian's high school counselor, and Adrian's current teachers for World History, English, and Algebra II computer science who agreed to do and or assist me with the homeschool instruction. The Burbank High School AP guidance counselor and the program specialist introduced themselves. And finally, I meet the man who will present our case to the district, Hal Jackson, Director of Pupil Services. I begin by thanking the teachers who have already given their time even before the district has made a decision. Then I state again why five hours is not enough when the average student goes to school 30 hours per week. Mr. Jackson's face is inscrutable I remind him I'm not being asked to be paid for my time, even though I do have a substitute credential and years of experience. No reaction. I look at him and say Burbank High couldn't find a French teacher, so I had to hire someone. I feel like I'm talking to President Roosevelt's face on Mount Rushmore. I resort to the law hoping to prompt a response. Under Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act of 1973, A recipient that operates a public elementary or secondary education program shall provide a free appropriate public education to each qualified handicapped person who is in the recipient's jurisdiction, regardless of the nature or severity of the person's handicap. The district is required by law to provide Adrian with an appropriate education. All the teachers as well as John nod in support of my statement. Adrian qualifies Mr. Jackson, I say, because an individual with a disability is anyone who has a physical or mental impairment that substantially limits a major life activity. Major life activities include caring for oneself, performing manual tasks, walking, seeing, hearing, speaking, breathing, learning, and working. I look at him, daring him to argue with me. He smiles and says The problem with section 504 Miss Wilson is it is a federal statute but the federal government does not provide funding for it Now most disabled children fall under special education which are separate funds A slow burn smolders in my torso I bite my lip You know Adrian can't possibly qualify for special education due to her grades and test scores. I am aware of that, he replies. Even though the teachers jump in, stating we can work something out, and John backs up everything I say, I feel as though I'm fighting Jackson alone, perhaps because we are sitting opposite each other. I picture us in a boxing ring, both of us dancing around, Feeling the other one out, I grit my teeth. You are required to provide Adrian with an education. You can't opt out and punish her for being smart. Jackson leans back. Is she really capable of doing schoolwork? I mean, what's her prognosis? His words are gasoline causing the burn in my stomach to blow up into a blaze of fire. I lurch forward and realize if he had been closer, I would have hit him. I feel heat around me and see John, too, is ablaze with anger. I grab his arm to restrain him, knowing he will walk across the room and punch this man for his insensitive, cruel remark. Unable to control the level of my voice or the tears streaming down my face, I launch into a tirade. You don't know my sister, or our family. Well, let me tell you something. We don't believe in numbers, so there's your prognosis. As far as doing her work, ask her teachers. She is more than capable. School is one of the few things that gives her pleasure now. It brings some normality back into her life. She wants to do the work she would be doing if she could attend school. She doesn't want to be babied. Why are you punishing her for being an honor student? You don't have the funds? Tough shit, find them, It's the law. Seeing a crack in his face, I take a breath. Maybe you read that front page story in the Burbank leader in July about Adrian and her illness. She said she wants to go to college and study religion and zoology. How do you think the community will react when they find out you? Oh, I mean the district denied Adrian her fundamental right to an education. Silence. Someone shuffles papers. Jackson clears his throat. I will take all of this information to the district and someone will contact you with their decision. In the meantime, the teachers volunteer their services free because they will be compensated retroactively. Whether it's for five or 10 hours total per week that will be split amongst them. They don't care and I am grateful for their commitment to Adrian. When John and I get home, we find Adrian half-asleep, curled under a blanket watching TV. She tells us our wish coordinator, Becca, dropped off pictures from her Make-A-Wish day. She motions toward a manila envelope on the kitchen table. The 504 meeting temporarily forgotten. I grab the envelope, eager to see proof of a happier day. I am disappointed to find most of the professional black-and-white photographs are too dark because the lighting in the studio was poor. However, one picture stands out. An 8x10, the photographer blew up from the original. Adrian is sitting next to Dave Navarro, and they are both looking into the camera. The picture is off center, yet it maintains an odd sense of symmetry. The sparkle from Adrian's sequined wristband counteracts the shine from Dave's wristwatch. The light shown in the folds of her satin dress mimics the reflection of a coffee mug in the mirror behind them, and their smiles, hers with teeth, his without hold the same elusive expression. Both Dave and Adrian seemed to possess a serene confidence. She is better off bald. I think to myself, I don't mean she's better off sick. That would imply all bald people are ill. Adrian used her hair as a means of self-expression from red to purple, to blue, even shaved. It made a statement without her hair. She is stripped bare, and her inner beauty, which was always there, shines through like it never did before. It is no longer hidden under thick bangs or bright colors. I know she hates it when strangers stare. What she doesn't realize is, like that busboy in the restaurant, they don't think she is a freak. Like the goddess Athena, Adrian radiates wisdom and strength. And people want to be close to her, to know her. I hate it when I forget to say something in a conversation, but then remember it hours, days, or even weeks later. Before the 504 meeting, Adrian took her world history chapter five test. I should have told Jackson. Maybe that information would have proven Adrian was capable. I would have left out the part about how she spent two hours taking the exam and how she stopped several times due to coughing fits, sleepiness, and general pain. Despite the delays, I'm sure she did well, but her teacher will grade it, not me. Watching Adrian plow through 52 short answer and multiple choice questions, often stopping to reread them, I could only imagine her frustration and admire her perseverance. I said she could stop at any time, but her response was, no, I'll finish it today. With a major test out of the way, Adrian spends the next few days focusing on her Algebra 2 and French 2 assignments. I think she is still working on her death myth essay for English, but I haven't seen a rough draft yet. In the math and foreign language subjects, I feel useless, which is another reason I requested more homeschool hours for Adrian. At one time, I understood algebra, but now it looks like gibberish to me. Adrian knows asking me a question is pointless and she refuses to ask John because he makes math more enigmatic than it already is. She emails her teacher, who drops by once a week to tutor her and pick up her homework. For French class, we go to Anya's house, where we often have dinner beforehand, making it an especially enjoyable experience for John and me because we get to socialize with our closest friends. Anya and Alex cook wonderful cholesterol-laden meals full of butter and fat, and they always make a side vegetarian dish for me Despite a low-grade fever and pain in her liver and shoulder, we don't cancel our plans with Anya and Alex on Thursday evening because Adrian wants to see them and she doesn't want to get behind in her French assignments. Adrian tries to eat, but her appetite has diminished. She struggles to stay awake. The four milligrams of Dilaudid I gave her before we left the house has made her sleepy. She manages to do her French lesson with Anya after dinner. The exercise is about whether dates and seasons. Most of the first unit of the book is a review of French one. For Adrian's next assignment, she will work on question words. One of the things I noticed when we leave Anya and Alex's place is how Adrian's gait has changed. She shuffles her feet like an old woman. She doesn't ask for help, though John remains next to her in case she needs it. From behind, I can see how hesitant each step is, how Much effort it takes for her, even though we park the car right outside the building. John takes her elbow and guides her into the back seat. Last month, Adrian argued with me for more time on the treadmill. Holding her school books, I tell myself she will get her strength back. She has future French lessons, and we have plenty of fights left. She's just having a bad week. Even though Adrian's cholesterol continues to decrease, one of her liver enzymes has risen from 230 to 259 and her bilirubin has shot up from 0.9 to 1.9, officially out of normal range. Excessive bilirubin in the body can lead to jaundice, so I check her nails, eyes, and skin, but Adrian does not appear yellow. I emailed Dr. Aquino with my concerns, hoping the test results are a side effect of the chemo Yet knowing their signs, her liver is working harder to perform its basic functions. I thought Adrian would feel better because this week she's off Salota, but only the heartburn has improved. She coughs every day and suffers from mild diarrhea and dry skin, which I counteract with kaopectate and bag balm cream. We fend off the occasional fever with Tylenol and continue Dilaudid for pain, adivan for anxiety, and Valium at bedtime. All of Adrian's medications are memorized in my head. The name, amount given, how often, purpose served. Delauded two to four milligrams, Q4, or PRN, stop pain. At our follow-up appointment tomorrow to discuss the first round of Zalota, which is the fifth round of chemo, Dr. Finn will add another pill to the pile. In the meantime, Dr. Aquino replies, Adrian's overall state of health may represent disease progression or drug toxicity. I don't know which conclusion sounds worse. I guess disease progression. Although if Adrian's body cannot handle these drugs, we are running out of options. Dr. Quino suggests I stop giving Adrian interferon this week and to have the test repeated a week later. If Adrian's liver test results worsen, he recommends stopping the interferon altogether and lowering the dosage of Zalota. He reminds me Adrian has qualified for a different study, an alpha beta protein vaccine protocol, but the FDA would have to make an exception for her since she is underage. He also says to get Dr. Finn's input when we see him this week. Though I appreciate his speedy response, one thing strikes me as odd. He never tells me to do anything. He only suggests. I don't know if that is his way of being polite or protecting himself from a future lawsuit. On Friday afternoon, I push Adrian in a wheelchair toward the pediatric clinic at UCLA Children's Hospital. Like Children's Hospital Los Angeles, they are undergoing renovations too. Signs everywhere state the hospital will soon be the Mattel Children's Hospital at UCLA. I wonder if they will give out free Barbie dolls to the cancer kids. Adrian attempts to do homework while we wait, but instead she falls asleep despite all the noise parents talking, children laughing, and computers humming around her. A nurse draws blood because Dr. Finn ordered a standard CBC and chem panel. He also prescribes a cough medicine, although he isn't sure if it will help Adrian. He wants me to increase the amount of boost Adrian drinks per day so she can maintain her weight. He also believes it will help her with her exhaustion. The psych referral resulted in a prescription for his Alexa, which Adrian will start in the morning. Dr. Finn concurs with Dr. Aquino's suggestions about Adrian's treatment. We will wait and see what the test results reveal. Until then, Adrian will continue as a Loda. She begins her sixth round of chemo tomorrow. I spend most of Saturday packing boxes. John takes his musical equipment to our new home because he doesn't want the movers to touch it. Our friend Jonathan offers to watch Adrian and to pack up her room because she is afraid the movers will break her stuff. Just when I think Adrian is like me, she turns around and acts like John. Sometimes I feel left out of their tight twosome. We're going to watch South Park. We're going to Guitar Center. We're going to a concert. We're going to do something you don't like to do, sissy. Funny how biology may technically make you a mother or father, but it doesn't make you a parent. Johnny, as Adrian likes to call him, and I, her sissy, are Adrian's parents. I think about this stuff as I put videotapes, DVDs, CDs, and books into boxes. I smile when I come across movies John and Adrian like, or books she and I love. Though she is her own person, Adrian carries a piece of us inside of her. On Sunday, Adrian stays with Anya at her place while John and I work with the movers. After four years of living in this house, we finally meet the owner, an attractive petite Asian woman. She says, if you had wanted the house, you could have taken over the payments. My jaw drops. Does she mean it? Did she tell the management company? We could have stayed? I don't know how to respond. It's too late now. The house is sold. We signed a new lease and the movers are here. Shit. In less than five hours, we pack up the rest of the house, move across town and set up Adrian's bedroom. When we pick her up, Adrian appears weak and groggy. Anya says she would only sip chicken broth, making Adrian's total liquid intake for the day less than 44 ounces. By late afternoon, her gums are bleeding. Yesterday, she was coughing up blood. Adrian swishes out her mouth with water and baking soda, and John and I keep a close eye on her the rest of the evening. The lab results from Friday's test show Adrian's AST, the liver enzyme that keeps increasing, is now 298, and her bilirubin is 2.0. Disease progression or drug toxicity? Which is it? I also notice for the first time her bun count, 20, is at the high end of normal. I remember bun indicates kidney function, and low is better than high, but I don't know what being high means, so I look it up. According to my medical dictionary, blood urea nitrogen levels may be increased in the presence of dehydration. Adrian's kidneys are working harder because she is not taking in enough fluids. I don't know how to fix that. I can't force her to drink. Though she has not had a significant amount of dilata today, Adrian acts incoherent a few hours later when we are watching television. I check her temperature, 99.5 degrees, usually nothing to worry about. Three hours pass and Adrian's fever rises to a hundred, and despite her best efforts, she seems unable to communicate because she garbles her words. John and I sit with her, trying our best to understand what she is saying to us. I fear something has happened and we're missing it. What has changed? Think, I tell myself. Is there anything new? Celexa. Adrian took the antidepressant yesterday. I call her therapist, Diana. I've never woken up Diana in the middle of the night before, so she knows something must be wrong with Adrian. I tell her what has happened over the past few hours. She explains to me an allergic reaction to Celexa is unlikely because it takes weeks for your body to absorb it, but anything is possible. However, Diana is concerned about Adrian's speech because it's possible her brain is not receiving enough oxygen. She wants me to test Adrian. Have her write down current information like her name, address, date, anything she should know. Then she advises me to call Adrian's doctor with the results. I hand Adrian our spiral notebook that doubles as our medical journal. Sweetie, write down your name and our address. She nods and writes, Emma Adrian Wilson, Burbank, 91504. The writing is messy, even for her, and she hesitates after the city, then scribbles through part of it. She doesn't write our entire address, but that makes sense because we just moved. Try again. Emma, Adrian, Wilson, Burbank, California, 91504. She slows down this time and seems happier with the result. Now, kiddo, who is our president? She attempts to speak, but I motion for her to write her answer on the page. George W. Bush. Relief washes over me. Despite her labored handwriting, Adrian knows where she is and what year it is. Her brain function has not been compromised yet. I call UCLA and talk to the doctor on call who agrees Adrian may not be getting enough oxygen. He suggests go to the nearest ER immediately. Thank you for watching and listening to Better Off Ball, The Life in 147 Days. There are only six more episodes to go and they are all in the month of October, which is liver cancer awareness month. So that seems very appropriate. I really appreciate you joining me on this journey. Please subscribe to my channel and share with everyone, you know, if you like this story and stay tuned for the next episode. You just heard a chapter from Better Off Ball, A Life in 147 Days, a story told and written by Andrea Wilson Woods. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to our podcast, share it with your friends, and leave us a review on iTunes. Thank you for listening.